In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the wonderful Lenten hymn with which we closed our service last week on Palm Sunday, a lamb goes uncomplaining forth, the guilt of all men bearing, and laden with the sins of earth, none else the burden sharing. On the third stanza, there's a beautiful overshadowing of what we celebrate this morning. O wondrous love, what hast thou done? The Father offers up his Son, the Son content descendeth. O love, how strong thou art to save. Thou beddest him within the grave, whose word the mountains rendeth. Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? The anxious women asked. He will, whose word the mountains rendeth. That's who. The one who was bedded in the tomb, which was blocked by that great stone door, he himself will move it. He himself already has. He is risen, just as he said. He is not here, see now, or better yet, hear now, what God's wondrous love has done and how strong it is to save. Alleluia, he is risen. Alleluia. And his words rend more than mountains. It rolls more than great boulders. He who fixed the foundation of the earth in great divine strength and who upholds all things by the power of his word, by the word of his power, he has now tasted the worst of our great human weakness. He has tasted death and all the pieces of death that make life a living death. He has paid the wages of our sins with his holy and spotless life. As an uncomplaining lamb, he went forth in the same veil of tears that we must pass. Under the same shadow of death that looms over each one of us, he went willingly to bear it all as our substitute and savior. He who died to destroy death has risen again. He has risen with a message for us that does more than move gravestones. It is a message of victory over death that is able to turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. With his word, he teaches and invites hearts to rejoice with praise toward God for what he has accomplished in Christ our Savior. Hallelujah. The wondrous love that God showed toward us in giving his son into death is the same wondrous love that God showed forth toward us in raising him from the dead. He who died by bearing the curse of God's judgment against us also rose by receiving the favor of God's blessing for us. It is a blessing that brought him back to life. It is a blessing for us. It is a blessing that is now contained in a message of truth for us to hear, a message of what God accomplished in time and space for our eternal redemption in the death and resurrection of his Son. The word that rolled the stone from the grave is the same word that promised he would. It is the same word that forgave adulterers and extortioners and blasphemers and drunks. It is the same word that commanded demons to depart and eyes and ears to work again. It is the same word that raised the dead and healed the lame and promised an eternal kingdom to those who took up their cross and followed him. It is a powerful word. 
A word that promises what glory follows the cross, what mercy follows our penitence, what feast follows our fasting, and what great honor follows our humility. It is a word that grants all these blessings still, for all and only for all who hear this word in faith. It is a message. This moving and changing of hearts made of stones refers, of course, to God creating faith in our hearts. He does so by his word. The stone of his grave was not moved for Jesus to get out. He passes through. It was moved for the women to see that he was not there. It was moved not for Jesus to live, but for the witnesses to see how vain it is to seek the living among the dead. It was moved so that by seeing, they might see nothing. He is not here, the angel said. He is risen. So find him not where eyes behold. Find him where he himself has told. Find him not where sentiments prove it, and it feels real enough to believe. But where he said he would, where he would be for you, where it's true whether you believe it or not, whether you feel it or not, and whether you believe it or not. So learn to listen that you may believe. Listening is a lost skill. People don't go to church like they should because they've forgotten how to listen. It's tiring. They blame the preacher for losing them. Well, there's nothing new under the sun. We see here in all four Gospels how these dear women had to be reminded of what Jesus had said so many times. He didn't lose them, I suppose, but they thought that they had lost him because they didn't listen. He who said he would die and said he would rise had now died and risen, like he said. And he still speaks what he has already been saying. He doesn't grow weary of saying it. He has much more to tell all of us. Whatever more he has to show you, he will only show to those who are satisfied in hearing. On this first Easter morning, what he had already said and now repeated through the angel finally brought joy to his dear sisters who loved him. You love Jesus. So listen. Find opportunity to listen. Jesus wants what you hear to bring great joy to you as well. The message of Jesus' resurrection today is the powerful message by which Christ's life is made known to you and made yours. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is why the angel told the adoring women to go tell the disciples to meet Jesus in Galilee. It is why Jesus told Mary Magdalene not to embrace him, but to give report to his disciples. Jesus' resurrection is life to us only insofar as it is good news for us. Only because it is a message for us to listen to. It is by faith that we embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of eternal life. It is by faith and words which are written for our learning, for our comfort, and for our patience. It was Jesus himself who told the angels to wait in his tomb with a message. It was Jesus, picture it, who told the angel where to sit and what to say. It was Jesus who commanded the angel to roll away the stone once he had left the tomb. Through the same stone walls that no eye could see through. He didn't need to roll anything, but it was Jesus who tells us to listen, not where he was, but where he is. He is among the living. He is among those who hear 
the word of God and keep it. Among those who live in him by faith, he speaks still through the gospel that he sends ministers to proclaim. Faith comes by hearing, the Bible says, and hearing by the word of God. He who hears you hears me, Jesus told his disciples. Peace I give to you. We will hear him say next Sunday, as the Father sent me, so I send you. He sends them to speak. He sends them to convey a powerful message of the law that proves our guilt and of the gospel that forgives it. The resurrection of our Lord, which we celebrate this morning, teaches us the power of Jesus' word. He said that he'd rise, and he did. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. By rising from the dead as he did, Jesus proved four vital points, which we now consider. First, which is actually second, if you consult your catechism, but first, Jesus proved that he, his, his word is true. He said he'd rise, and he did. We can trust his word is reliable. We can trust his word is powerful. If what he says is not reliable, it cannot be powerful except to deceive. But this lamb had no deceit in his mouth, and by his rising again, he proved that what he promises to you is true as well. He says he bears your sins and reconciles you to God. He speaks the truth. He says he gives you rest and that all who believe his word shall never taste death. I am the resurrection and the life, he says. If he did not rise, as he said he would, how could you take seriously his promise that he died for your sins? If he did not rise, then all his miserable death can offer now is a sample of what we must all taste in full, alone and scared and guilty. But if he spoke the truth concerning his resurrection, how much more so when he tells you that he, why he died in the first place. He faced death for you. He faced an angry God for you. He faced the wrath of God. He paid sin's wages for you. God forgives you. Jesus said so. Second, Jesus said he was God. He claimed to be God and proved he was God by all that he called himself and let others call him. All his works and wonders, by the authority with which he taught from Scripture, Jesus claimed to be God. Only God can rise from the dead. Jesus raised others. He raised Lazarus a week or so earlier. He raised a young girl. In his name, even the prophet Elijah raised a young boy. But he did not cry to Elijah for help on the cross. He cried to his God. By Jesus' own authority, as God of God, Jesus raised others and himself. He does the work his father gave him to do. He laid down his life as he took it again. This command he received from his father. Jesus rose. He proves he's God by rising. As St. Peter, or St. Paul, opens up his epistle to the Romans, that he was declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. He must be God if his sacrifice for us will have value to save the whole world from its sin. Only the blood of God can make peace with God. Jesus died. Jesus rose. Jesus was also raised. Yes, Jesus himself rose by his own power. He is God. 
But the father also raised him. I and my father are one, Jesus said. Jesus rose and he was raised. The father raised him. The father demanded all sinners die for their sin. So to save all sinners, he demanded that his innocent son become true man and die in their place. The father raised his son. He raised him because of our justification, St. Paul says. Because he was satisfied. And by raising Jesus, we therefore see the third thing. Jesus' resurrection proves that the father accepted his sacrifice. That all wrath against every sin and all sin was truly and fully satisfied. What sin could linger in you or anyone that God would still condemn? If Jesus failed to suffer sufficiently sufficiently for every sin, if his soul did not quite labor bitterly enough in sorrow for even one nagging lust or temptation that you are guilty of, and that robs you of peace when you try to sleep, or that you fear God might yet discover in you if he hasn't searched you thoroughly enough, If Jesus failed to atone even for these sins that your mind and heart return to daily, then the Father would not have raised his Son. He'd leave him dead in the grave like he deserved, because he truly bore our sin. He'd still be dead, and no lesser sinner than you would have any greater hope than the worst of us. But by raising Jesus, the Father gave public testimony and proclamation that he had indeed made atonement and that no sin remained unpardoned. His word, the mountains rendeth. But when Jesus died, the Father rent not mountains. He rent from top to bottom, from heaven to earth, from God to man. He rent, he tore the curtain in the temple. He did this in order to show us that access to him was no longer granted by the sacrifices of priests. Access to God's holy presence is now granted to all of us through the one sacrifice of his appointed lamb. He opens the way to the Father's throne of grace. When God tore the temple curtain, the earth quaked and graves opened. Three days later, when Jesus rose, so did the bodies who were in those graves. So powerful was the effect of our Lord's death and of our Lord's rising. When the curtain tore, God thereby pledged to raise Jesus by already opening the graves of those he died for. Or would he open them and not let those come out? No. The resurrection of Jesus is itself a proclamation. It is an event. It happened. It must have But it happened for the sake of what is now to be preached. As the women at the tomb soon learned, it must be proclaimed, it must be taught to sinners who need to know that God is reconciled to them, that God has atoned for their sin and turned his wrath away. You need to know this, that your only hope and mediator is not dead, but lives. You need to know that the God-man intercedes for you before the Father who promises to hear your prayers in Jesus' name. You need life that you do not find in yourselves. You need to hear the message. You need regularly to hear the gospel so that the faith which the gospel alone has given you might be strengthened. St. Paul writes to us, If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. 
And if Christ is not risen, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. But perish the thought. This brings us to the fourth thing Christ's resurrection proves. It proves that you too will rise again. The message of Jesus' resurrection is what the faithful Job said he wished were written in stone. He wished for this because bound to his Redeemer's resurrection was his own resurrection. That in his own flesh he would see God. Jesus promised, he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? he asked. Job believed it. Oh, that these words were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. Why did he want them written? So that he could read them again. And again, and so someone else could preach it to him and prove by such proclamation that the death and resurrection of God in the flesh means life not only to our souls, but life for our bodies as well. He wanted it written so that generations to come might hear it and believe, this generation and our children's. For there is something better than this word engraved on stone. It is that they be engraved upon our hearts. For by such engraving, by the faith this promise makes, our hearts are turned from stone and back to flesh. Back to the flesh that God himself has assumed, redeemed, sanctified. The flesh that he has made immortal. His word that rends the mountains rends our hearts, yes. Let his word do so. He exposes the source of death. Let him. He teaches us to see in what he suffered, what we have deserved. What did the law threaten? Listen to it. See it. What causes your death? Is it bad? Confess it. And see where he makes it good. See in the death of Christ that the wages are heavy and brutal. See him bear timeless sorrow in his anguish. See him win timeless joy when he rises. There is no vengeance. There is no guilt trip. There is a rending of your heart to teach you that death is inside. He rends it in order to tell you not to seek the living among the dead of life within. Seek it where he says he is. He is the resurrection and the life. Our Lord Jesus teaches us to trust in God again. But our holy calling, by our holy calling through the washing of water and the word, God's purpose toward us has now been revealed. That's what St. Paul writes to Timothy. By, it's been revealed to us by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We've been buried with Christ through baptism. Today we celebrate what happened to Christ when he was buried, and so we celebrate what happens to us when we are buried. The angel removed the stone. He told the women not to be alarmed, but they remained alarmed. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They needed a greater stone removed. 
They needed to hear the application of the Easter message. They needed to hear as often and even more often than they had ever heard Jesus say what he was going to do, they needed to hear what he has done. And so do you. He has removed all that could keep us afraid of God's judgment, afraid of the pains of death or the dank hole we are tossed into once we die. He has removed all that could keep us dead by dying himself and rising. And he removes all doubt by telling you about it. Jesus rolled the stone by his command to the angel. The angel did what he was told. And he rolls away your sin and guilt and all obstruction to God by his own command. His command is a promise. He commands preachers to preach. And he commands his Christians to listen. His command is a promise. Rejoice in the Lord. For Christ is risen. And so will we. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen.